This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. The good auxiliary bishop from Astania, Kazakhstan, Bishop Athanasius, recently came out and said some really uncomfortable things for two groups of people that I know are in my audience. And so some of you are going to have some interesting feedback on this. And I want to hear what everyone has to say about his letter here, but I'm actually most curious about the opinions of those who believe that Benedict XVI is the real Pope and not Francis, as well as the opinion of set of a contest, because Bishop Athanasius Schneider came out and said that the Benedict XVI is the real Pope thesis is extremely destructive to the church and essentially just another form of set of a contism. You know, many of you won't be happy with him on that. So I'm curious what you have to say about this. So why don't you hear out his argument? He released a letter recently and he did a video with it, but his accent was so thick that people were having a hard time understanding him. And I don't say that as a way to denigrate him at all, but he also had the letter form. So I have the letter for you here. I'm curious what you think of this. Um, he is well known for not really holding back. And among the bishops in the hierarchy, he's probably, in, he is for my money, the best of them, the very best of them. I would love to see him Pope, but that's, I mean, he's an auxiliary bishop. He's an assistant bishop in, in a tiny little diocese somewhere. And the fact that he made a name for himself that reaches now around the world with great influence is rather remarkable. And his only hope of ever getting promoted further up the hierarchy is for us to get at least a decent Pope. That's another topic for another time, though. Let me know what you think of this after you hear it, and I'll have some thoughts at the end. With that having been said, Reflections on the Question of the Validity of the Papacy of Pope Francis by Bishop Athanasius Schneider. The safest guiding principle in the crucial question for the life of the Church regarding the validity of the papacy of Pope Francis should be the prevailing practice in the history of the Church, with which were resolved cases of presumably invalid papal renunciations or elevations. In this prevailing practice, which shows the census perennius ecclesia, the principle of legality applied ad literum to the letter, or that of juridical positivism was not considered in the great practice of the church an absolute principle, since the legislation of the papal elevation is only a human positive law and not a divine revealed law. The human law that regulates the assumption of the papal office or the dismissal from the papal office must be subordinated to the greater good of the whole church, which in this case is the real existence of the visible head of the church and the certainty of this existence for all the body of the church, clergy and faithful. This visible existence of the head and the certainty about it are required by the very nature of the church. The universal church cannot exist for a considerable time without a visible supreme shepherd, without the successor of Peter, since the vital activity of the universal church depends on its visible head, such as, for example, the appointment of diocesan bishops and cardinals, appointments that require the existence of a valid pope. In turn, the spiritual good of the faithful depends on a valid appointment of a bishop, since in the case of an invalid episcopal appointment, due to a presumably invalid pope, priests would lack pastoral jurisdiction for confession and marriage. From this also depend those dispensations that only the Roman pontiff can grant, and also indulgences, all this for the spiritual good and eternal salvation of souls. Applying in this case the principle of supplying of jurisdiction would undermine the characteristic of the church's visibility, and would be substantially the position of the set of a contest theory. 
Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, when consecrating bishops without the Pope's mandate, also applied the principle of supplying jurisdiction, but he applied it only to specific cases and not to the entire pontifical jurisdiction. He always mentioned the Pope and the canon of the Mass. The acceptance of the possibility of a prolonged time of a vacancy of the Holy See, Sedis Vacantia Papalis, easily leads to the spirit of Sedivacantism, which ultimately constitutes a kind of sectarian and quasi-heretical phenomenon that has appeared in the past 60 years due to the problems with Vatican II and the conciliar and post-conciliar popes. The spiritual good and eternal salvation of the faithful is the supreme law and the normative system of the church. For this reason, there is the principle of suple ecclesia or of sanctio in adarich, healing at the root. That is, the church completes what was against the human positive law in the case of the sacraments, which demand jurisdictional facilities, e.g. confession, marriage, confirmation, the burdens of the intentions of the mass. Guided by this truly pastoral principle, the instinct of the church has also applied to the suple ecclesia or sanatia in darich in the case of doubts about a renunciation or a pontifical elevation. Concretely, the sanatia in darich of an invalid pontifical elevation was expressed in the peaceful and morally universal acceptance of the new pontiff by the episcopate and the Catholic people. For the same fact that this elevated, presumably invalid pontiff was nominated in the canon of the mass practically by the entire Catholic clergy. The history of the church is a sure teacher in this matter. The longest vacancy of the apostolic see lasted two years and nine months, from 29th of November, 1268, until 1st September, 1271. It was also the time in which lived St. Thomas Aquinas. There were evidently invalid pontifical processes, i.e. assumptions of the papal office invalidly. For example, Pope Gregory VI became pope by buying the papacy with a large sum of money from his predecessor, Pope Benedict IX, in the year 1045. However, the Roman Church has always considered Gregory VI as a valid pope, and even Hildebrand, who later became Pope St. Gregory VII, considered Gregory VI to be a legitimate pope, notwithstanding the illegitimate manner by which Gregory VI became pope. Pope Urban VI had been elevated under enormous pressure and threats from the Roman people. Some cardinal participants feared even for their lives, such as was the atmosphere of the process of Urban VI in the year 1378. During the coronation of the new pope, all the cardinal participants paid him homage and recognized him as pope during the first months of his pontificate. After a few months, however, some cardinals, especially the French cardinals, began to doubt the validity of the process because of the threatening circumstances and the moral pressure they had to suffer during the process. For this reason, these cardinals chose a new pope, who was called Clement VII, a Frenchman, who chose Avignon as his residence. He and his successors were considered by the Roman Church always as anti-popes. Thus began one of the most disastrous crises in the history of the Church, the Great Western Schism, which lasted almost 40 years, tearing apart the unity of the Church and damaging the spiritual good of souls so much. The Roman Church has always recognized Urban VI as a valid pope, despite the probably invalidating factors of his elevation process. The fact that a saint, as for example, St. Vincent Ferrer, during a time, recognized the anti-pope Clement VII as the only valid pope is not a convincing argument, since saints are not infallible in all their opinions. The Saint Saint Vincent Ferrer later abandoned the Avignon anti-pope Clement VII and recognized the pope in Rome. Pope Saint Clement V made his renunciation in circumstances of pressure and insinuations by the powerful Cardinal Benedetto Gaetani, 
who succeeded him as Pope Boniface VIII in the year 1294. Because of these circumstances, a part of the faithful clergy of that time never recognized Boniface VIII as a valid pope. However, the Roman Church considered Boniface VIII as a legitimate pope because the acceptance of Boniface VIII by the overwhelming part of the episcopate and the faithful healed at the root the possible invalidating circumstances of both the renunciation of Celestine V and the elevation of Boniface VIII. The following explanation of Professor Roberto de Mattei demonstrates convincingly the inconsistencies of the theories of an invalid papacy of Pope Francis. Lengthy quote begins. It has mattered not that Monsignor George Gonswein, in a declaration to LifeSite News on February 14, 2019, reaffirmed the validity of Benedict XVI's renunciation of the Petrine office by stating that there is only one pope legitimately elevated and it is Francis. By then, the idea of a possible redefinition of the papal ministry had been launched. Some people say that Pope Benedict's intention was that of maintaining the papacy, assuming the office capable or of bifurcating in two. But this is a substantial error. Even the monarchical and unitary nature of the papacy is a divine right. God alone judges intentions, whereas canon law merely limits itself in evaluating the outward behavior of the baptized. A well-known sentence of canon law affirms that de internis non iudicet praetor meaning a judge does not judge interior things. On the other hand, Canon 1526, subparagraph 1 of the new Code of Canon Law points out that the onus of providing the proof falls to the one alleging. There is a difference between a clue and a proof. The clue suggests the possibility of a fact. The proof demonstrates the certainty. Agatha Christie's rule whereby three clues are a proof is fine in literature, but not in civil or ecclesiastical courts. Furthermore, if Pope Benedict is the legitimate pope, what would happen if from one day to the next he should die, or instead, before he died, Pope Francis should pass away? Given the fact that many current cardinals were created by Pope Francis and none of the cardinals who will participate in the next conclave consider him an anti-pope, the apostolic succession would be interrupted, jeopardizing the visibility of the church. The paradox is that to prove the invalibility of Benedict's renunciation, juridical sophisms are employed, but then to resolve the problem of Benedict's or Francis's succession, Extra canonical solutions ought to be used. The excerpt the bishop is citing here comes from The Unknowns at the End of a Pontificate by Roberto de Mattei. The hypothesis of Benedict XVI's invalid renunciation, and therefore of the invalidity of the papacy of Francis, properly presents itself as a dead end, a cul-de-sac. For nine years, the apostolic see would have been de facto vacant since Benedict XVI did not make any act of government no Episcopal or Cardinal appointment, no act of dispensation, of indulgences, etc. For this reason, the universal church would be paralyzed in its visible aspect. Such an assumption would amount in practice to the attitude of set of a Kantism. In the past nine years, all the appointments of apostolic nuncios, diocesan bishops, and cardinals, all the pontifical dispensations, the indulgences granted and used by the faithful, would be null and void, with all the harmful consequences for the spiritual good of souls, illegitimate bishops, invalid episcopal jurisdictions, etc. All the cardinals nominated by Pope Francis would be invalid, that is, there are non-cardinals, and this would apply to the most of the current College of Cardinals. Another purely theoretical hypothesis. If Benedict XVI would have been an extremely liberal and almost heretical pope, and would have renounced in 2013 in circumstances similar to those that actually occurred in 2013, therefore having possible elements of invalidity, and then would be chosen as a new and then would be chosen a new pope with an absolutely traditional spirit, 
And this new pope, presumably chosen invalidly because of the invalid renunciation of his predecessor and because of the violation of some norms of the conclave, would begin to reform the church in the true Catholic sense, appoint good bishops and cardinals, issue professions of faith or ex-cathedra pronouncements to defend the Catholic faith against the current errors within the church. Certainly no good cardinal, bishop, or faithful Catholic would consider this new 100% Catholic pope an illegitimate pope, asking for his renunciation for the old liberal pontiff to return to rule. Another hypothesis. The person who was Benedict XVI could still live for several years, and in the meantime, all the cardinals nominated by John Paul II and Benedict XVI would die. Therefore, the College of Cardinals would be composed only of cardinals appointed by Pope Francis. Therefore, they would be non-cardinals, according to the theory of the invalid pontificate of Francis. Therefore, there would be no longer a College of Cardinals, and therefore, there would be no valid participants who could proceed to a new pontifical elevation process. The law that says that the cardinals are the only valid of participants in the process for the next pope has been in force since the 11th century and was sanctioned by the Roman pontiffs. Therefore, only a Roman pontiff is competent to change the law of the pontifical elevation process and to sanction a rule that would allow to have other participants except the cardinals. If one would follow the theory of the invalid pontificate of Francis in the hypothetical sense, when all the cardinals appointed before Pope Francis would die and also the former Pope Benedict XVI would die, it would not be possible to validly elevate a new pontiff. The church would be in a dead end, a cul-de-sac. The hypothesis that says that Benedict XVI is still the only valid pope and therefore Pope Francis would be an invalid pope contradicts not only the proven and reasonable practice of the great tradition of the church, but also simply common sense. Furthermore, in this case, one absolutizes the aspect of legality. That is, in our case, of the human norms of renunciation and pontifical elevation to the detriment of the good of souls, since there is created the situation of uncertainty on the validity of acts of government of the church. And this undermines the visible nature of the church and one approaches the mentality of set of a contism. The surer way via tutor and the example of the constant practice of the great tradition of the church must be followed also in our present case. The rudder of the boat of the church holds our Lord Jesus Christ in his hands, even in the situations of heaviest storms, such as it can be in a time of doctrinally ambiguous pope. Such storms are relatively short compared to other great crises during the 2,000 years of the existence of the militant church. In the midst of the confusion and the storm within the life of the church of our day, our Lord will rise and rebuke the winds and the sea. And there will be again given a time of calm, doctrinal security, liturgical sacredness, and holiness of the priests, bishops, and popes. We have to renew in the midst of a situation which humanly spoke, ap spoken appears helpless, our unshakable faith in the divine truth that the gates of hell will never prevail against the Catholic Church. Signed, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Astania. And that, like I said, that was the letter from Bishop Athanasius on the question of Benedict XVI being the real pope, and by extension, set of a contism. He was, and he didn't excoriate people, but he did say, he just flat out said that the, it was a dangerous hypothesis that undermines the essential, the visible nature of the church to have either a hidden pope or a long period of set of a cont. And he just outlines the consequences. And here's the thing. I actually think that most set of contests would not disagree with what he says is the consequences are. I mean, after all, when you if you see a set of a contest, the they don't typically recognize members of the hierarchy as actually even being ordained. 
you'll see sometimes some of the more public set of a contest refer to him as Bishop, uh, not as Bishop Schneider, but as Mr. Schneider. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But what he does here, though, is, is take that argument and then apply it to essentially to Benedict the Sixth, Benedict the Sixteenth question. And he does it because people will say, well, you know, if that Francis isn't the Pope, they say that. And the consequence of that is very obvious that all this, this, con this consistory that's coming where 21 people will be named cardinals, well, then they're not actually cardinals. And that would invalidate the next papal conclave because you would have all these non-participants participating. So I think there's, you know, he's not exactly incorrect about that. It's just I'm curious what the reaction from the audience is. Full disclosure, I've never really bought into the thesis that he is the true pope, just because I think it gets a little too legalistic we're talking about a divine institution like the papacy but i'm not so, not also not passionate about the question one way or the other and if you believe that benedict's the real pope that's fine i don't have an issue with your with you having that position i completely understand why people come to that conclusion it's just not one i hold to myself i think we're in a much worse position than anybody's willing to, to actually realize that we're being the church or at least the faithful the church militant are being actively punished right now for our own sins that has been that has been known to happen in the past and there have been popes in the past who have been who have been actually accused of heresy and we have at least one confirmed heretic who has been pope in the past so having a, a heretic on the throne of peter is not new per se i'm curious what you think about this in the comments please so let me know what you think like and subscribe if you haven't it does help as always pray for the church i'm anthony stein Ave Maria.